Since you have your copy of God's Word, let's turn together to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 29 through 39. Matthew chapter 15, verses 29 through 39. We'll complete uh, chapter 15 this morning and looking um, at another story of Jesus performing some powerful miracles and what seems to be maybe a, a repetition here, right? We hear uh, several weeks ago Jesus was feeding the 5,000, and this morning in our text we find him feeding a crowd of 4,000. A much, what, a much lesser known miracle of Jesus, uh, not often as focused upon as the feeding of the 5,000, uh, but there's some powerful illustrations here that Jesus gives not only to his disciples, but to us in reading this passage, that it's important that we take the time to consider the instruction that Jesus was giving here. In Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 29, if you found your way there, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee, and having gone up on the mountain, He was sitting there. And large crowds came to Him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others, and laid them down at His feet, and he healed them. So the crowds marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now for three days and have nothing to eat, and I do not want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where would we get so many loaves in this desolate place to satisfy such a large crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven, and a few small fish. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and the fish, and giving thanks, he broke them and started giving them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, seven large baskets full. And those who ate were four thousand men besides women and children. And sending away the crowds, Jesus got into the boat, and came into the region of Magadan. You can be seated. This morning I want to talk to us about the compassion for the outcast. The compassion for the outcast. Because what we find happening in this passage of Scripture is Jesus leaving out from where He was along the Sea of Galilee, and He, he journeys out on, on a fairly long venture here. Uh, he had been preaching there in this region of Galilee for, for a, an extended period of time there amongst the Jews. Uh, but as we've talked about before, this is kind of the turning point in Jesus' ministry, this period of time where he turns away from the region of Galilee. He's not going to minister there anymore. And he goes now out into the region of the Gentiles before then returning and focusing his ministry keenly on his disciples and upon training them. There's a period of time here that elapsed from where we find Jesus ministering uh, with the, the Syrophoenician woman, the Canaanite woman that Pastor Ben addressed last week, until the time we come now to this feeding of the 4,000. Many commentators believed probably almost six months had elapsed during this period of time. And the reason for that is because of the journey that Jesus took. And so what we find here in this passage is that as Jesus is ministering and having compassion for the outcast, the first thing that we find here is a very purposeful visit. Jesus did not arrive here in the region of Decapolis. Jesus did not arrive here in this region to heal people just by accident or by chance. This is a very 
purposeful visit. It was purposeful for a number of reasons. As I said, around six months had taken place and since the time Jesus left and arrived there. And the reason was, was because Jesus took the long way to get there. Where he was on the uh, western shore of the Sea of Galilee, all he really would have had to do was just to travel around the bottom of the sea to arrive in this region. And the region of Decapolis, was, which means ten cities, was a region there of uh, several clustered cities, ten cities all together, a Gentile region. But instead of just traveling the short way there, Jesus took his disciples and they went all the way north around the upper edge of the Sea of Galilee and then back down on the other side. And in this time, Jesus was ministering to his disciples. He was training them and teaching them and instructing them until that time when he arrives here in this region. And as he comes here and he comes up to the mountain, and he comes and he sits down as he often did. Jesus knew exactly what was getting ready to take place. And what we find here in this whole passage is Jesus speaking to his disciples in such a powerful way as to demonstrate to them that the gospel is not just for the Jews, but for the Gentile alike. Now, he had started this in his ministry to the Canaanite woman. I remember last week, Pastor Ben did such a great job in opening up this passage. This Canaanite woman, this Gentile woman, comes to Jesus as he's there in the region of Tyre and Sidon, and she comes out and begins to cry to him. And at first, Jesus ignores her, and it's such an abrupt thing, right? We think about over and over again, we've seen Jesus' compassion, that every time someone came to him, that he healed them. That whether they were blind or lame or deaf, Jesus, they came and he healed them. But here in this passage, this woman comes and she cries out and she says, Jesus, my daughter is demon-possessed. And verse 23 says that he doesn't say a word to her. Well, that, that doesn't seem to be the heart of Jesus that we're used to, right? That he wouldn't say a word to this woman who comes in desperation. But what Jesus is doing here is he's teaching his disciples much the same as he would when Lazarus died. Remember when, when Lazarus died, Jesus was, he loved Lazarus. Lazarus was his, his closest friend. And when they come to him and says, Lazarus is sick, and then they come and say, Lazarus has died, he said, it is better for me to stay here. Why? Because Jesus knew what was going to happen. When Lazarus died, he was going to be able to teach his disciples something that he could not teach them unless Lazarus had died. Jesus could have gone and healed him in that moment. In fact, when Jesus heard Lazarus was sick, he could have just spoken the word and healed Lazarus. He didn't have to go there. But he let Lazarus die because he knew that by going there and raising him from the dead, he could teach his disciples something powerful about him as Messiah and his power over death. And it's the same with this woman. Because right here in this passage, Jesus is beginning to show his disciples that the gospel is not just for the Jew, but also for the Gentile. Because in Jesus' not listening to this woman, not acknowledging her in that first moment, causes her to cry out with even greater desperation. And when Jesus tells her, well, I came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I came to the Jews. She says, yes, but, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs from the master's table. Because this is how the, the Gentiles knew they were in the eyes of Jews. They were just dogs. They were just wild scavengers in the eyes of the Jews because they weren't not Jewish people. And so she's saying, listen, even, even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And so Jesus comments on how great her faith is. Because in this moment, what Jesus is saying is, yes, the crumbs do fall from the master's table, not just to feed those who are my chosen people as the Jews, but to also feed those who are outside of that covenant of faith, to feed the Gentiles, to feed the dogs. And so this is what's going to be going on in the disciples' mind. They've been thinking about this, right? Because this is something 
this, this would have been extraordinarily strange to them, right? That the gospel would be for Gentiles as well as Jews. Well, I mean, they would say, we're God's people. We're the Jewish people. We're the ones who God has chosen through thousands of years to keep and to watch over. How could a Gentile dog have any part of what God is doing? How could they have any part of the gospel? So Jesus now walks out, and no doubt, I'm sure on this journey, the disciples had many questions to Jesus about this. How does this work, Jesus? How could this be so? How could this happen? How could God love Gentiles as well as Jewish people alike? So this was a very purposeful visit because Jesus arrives here in this region of Decapolis to perform miracles and to feed the 4,000, in doing so, demonstrating yet again to his disciples that the gospel is for all people, not just for the Jew. And we can find that because not only is it a purposeful visit, but it's a peculiar crowd. Because out in this region, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, in the region of Decapolis, there would have been very few Jews present in this moment. The vast majority of the crowd that would have been gathered around would have been a Gentile audience. It would not have been an audience of, of, of mostly Jewish people as where Jesus' ministry had been previously. So as all these people are coming together, notice there in verse 29, Jesus goes up and he sits down. It's a typical position of a teacher. This is what they would do. They would sit down and teach. And look at verse 30. Large crowds came to him. The multitudes began to pour out of all of these cities. And he says they were bringing with them those who were lame and crippled and blind, mute, and many others, and laid them down at his feet. So the entire region just began to pour out of these cities, coming to Jesus out here on the outskirts. And you can only I can only imagine this in my mind. Because the, the Scripture here gives us a couple of references to how many people were here. Number one, it says large crowds, right? And in, in just a moment, Jesus is going to feed 4,000 men, which means that probably in a closer estimation of number of people, it would have been fifteen to 20,000 people because they didn't count the women and children. So you can imagine all these people pouring out of these cities. And not only are they coming, but they're bringing their, their spouses and their children and their family members and their neighbors who have experienced all of these physical maladies. Lame. It means they can't walk well. Crippled it speaks to the idea of Lame and crippled speaks, some of it speaks to the idea of people even missing appendages, right? A, a, a hand being missing, a foot being missing. Somebody who's blind, mute, they can't speak. And it says they laid them down at his feet. Now, the word that's being used there, if you look in the King James, it says they cast them down at his feet. And it's not talking about in a, in a haphazard manner, but what it's talking about was that there were so many people coming in that it was just like this continual line of people. That Jesus, they would pass by, Jesus would heal the person. As soon as that person was healed, another person was right in front of him. And he's just healing and healing and healing and healing and over and over and over and over. And all of this is taking place. And what's amazing to see here is, is the power that Jesus had. What Jesus here is proving is that he is the Messiah. Because notice the things that Jesus is doing. He's not just healing things that would be easily observable, right? Like he, he's healing things that, that cannot be faked. There were a lot of people in the time in which Jesus lived who were false miracle healers that would go around. Now it's, it's easy to heal somebody, quote unquote, of something that you can't see, right? If somebody comes up to you and says, oh, well, I, I have a stomach ailment, right? And, and somebody says, okay, well, I'm going to heal you from that stomach ailment. And they pray, off, pray for them. And they say, okay, you're healed, brother. Now, you can't prove that, right? You can't check that. You can't see a stomach ailment. And this is how 
false faith healers work today. You watch on television, and all the things that faith healers do on television are things that can be easily faked. We won't get off into the, to the, to the, the, the weeds on this, but the reason that you don't see a faith healer on TV causing somebody's foot to grow back is because they can't do it. Jesus could. Jesus could cause a foot to grow back where there was not a foot because he had the true power from God. And so, can you imagine all of these people watching limbs grow back, watching blind eyes open, somebody who hasn't spoken their entire life, who's been mute, they they can't utter a sound, and all of a sudden Jesus puts his hands on them and heals them, and all of a sudden now they can speak with crystal clarity. Can you imagine the joy and the excitement of everything that was taking place? But remember now, this is, this is a peculiar crowd of people, though. Why? Because these are Gentiles. So Jesus here is doing the exact same miracle-working power amongst a group of people who, according to his disciples, would have been the outcast of the kingdom. These weren't the people that God loved. These weren't the people that God cared about. But yet we find Jesus showing the exact same love, compassion, and power to these people as he had done to everybody else. No condition that was brought to Jesus was unhealed. No person that came to Jesus did he turn away. There's such a powerful illustration here of what it means to come to Christ. Brothers and sisters, if you're here this morning, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how many times you've done it. It doesn't matter how bad you may think you are or how bad everybody tells you you are. If you will come to Christ this morning, He has the power to forgive you and to change your life. And He will not cast you away. There was not a person here. There was no disease, no sickness, no ailment that was so great that when they came to Jesus that He could not heal them or that He would not heal them. So it was a purposeful visit. It was a peculiar crowd. But I also want you to notice here the the bountiful provision that Jesus gives here in this moment. Because as all these crowds were gathered around, obviously something begins to happen, right? They begin to get hungry. And not only do they get hungry, well, the reason they're hungry, Jesus tells us in verse 32. He says, I feel compassion for the people because they've remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. Now, one thing is very clear about this passage. This group of people, although they were Gentile, were not Baptists. Because Baptists can only survive an hour and a half without eating before the church service is over. These people had been here for three whole days. Now, this doesn't mean that they arrived with no food on the scene, right? Nobody in this period of time would have traveled without something to eat. But what is being said here is that they've been here for so long, they've eaten everything that they had brought with them. When they says they remained there for three days, Jesus is not saying that they came back every day. No, these people had stayed there. This was like an all-night camp meeting. They came and they set up camp there and they stayed with Jesus the entirety of these three days out here in this wilderness location where Jesus was speaking. So all of these people are gathered around and Jesus says, I have compassion on them. This is one of the only places... Uh, where we see this word, Jesus used this word, this compassion, and it's talking about that inward moving of the bowels. And, and what that means in, in Jewish tradition and in this time, they considered the seat of the soul 
or the inward part of the being as containing where you had all of those emotions. And we've talked before about how, you know, when, when we talk about it, when our stomach gets turned upside down, right? When we, when we feel that inner changing in our body when something happens. And this is what Jesus is talking about. He's so moved with compassion towards these people that his, his inner body is being in turmoil because he was, he was human. He experienced emotion just like we did. And as Jesus looked out upon these people, what did he see? He said it before, he sees people that are sheep without a shepherd. And he's used that before to speak of the Jews because they were sheep without a shepherd, because the, the Pharisees and scribes were supposed to be shepherding and leading them, and they were not doing what they were supposed to do. But here you had a group of people who were the outcasts. They had nobody to turn to. They didn't have uh, to the scribes and the Pharisees. They didn't have a tradition to turn to. All they had was, was paganism and other deities. So they were the same. They were sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus is moved with this inward compassion. Because here are these people, they're out here to hear what he has to say, and they've not had food to eat. They are physically hungry. So physically hungry, Jesus says, that if I send them away, they may faint on the way home. Jesus is concerned not only about the physical ailments of people, but he's concerned about their physical condition. It's hard to teach someone or to tell somebody the truth if they're hungry. Now, we use the term hangry today, right? That if you get hungry enough, then your attitude starts to change. And it's kind of a common thing that people joke about, that if you're so hungry, you can't focus on anything else. We've probably been there, all of us. There's been some times where we've been really, really hungry. And when you're really, really hungry, you probably don't want to sit down and listen to some guy teach or to talk to you for a day at a time. And Jesus understood this. So he's meeting these needs. Jesus is always about meeting the needs of the people, not to, to, uh, to take the place of the truth of the gospel, but to supplement it. Because Jesus knew that if I heal these people, I'm going to be able to teach and minister to them. I'm going to demonstrate my power. If I feed these people, I'm going to be able to minister to the gospel to them and show them that my compassion stretches not just from the physical, but also to the spiritual. Now, this would have been another one of those moments where the disciples would have stood back in wonder. Because when Jesus used this word compassion... They would have known exactly what he meant. That it wasn't just feeling sorry for them, but Jesus was being moved inwardly in such an emotional state that it was causing him angst. And the disciples would have questioned this as well, right? Why, Jesus, would you care this much about these people? Why would you care so much about the Gentiles? So Jesus had great compassion. But notice the confusion that the disciples have. Verse 33, it says, The disciples said to him, Where would we get so many loaves in this desolate place to satisfy such a large crowd? Now, they're out in a desolate region anyway. This, the, the region of Decapolis was kind of isolated, and as they've moved even outside of those cities to where Jesus here is teaching and preaching, there's not a, a local grocery store. There's not a place close by where you can go get so much food. And so the disciples say, well, Jesus, you've told us to feed, but where would we get so many loaves? Where would we get that much food in this place? Now, as they ask this question, it would seem as if the disciples have so quickly forgotten what happened just a few short months ago, right? They're there, and Jesus says, we need to feed this crowd of people. And they said, Jesus, we can't do this. There's not enough money. There's not enough food. So they find the loaves and the fishes, and Jesus multiplies, and not only is there enough to feed 20-something thousand people, but there's 12 baskets left over. And now Jesus says, we're going to feed these people again, and the disciples are back to this question of saying, Jesus, 
how are they going to do this? It's very easy to criticize the disciples in this moment, right? I'm sure many of you are probably thinking in the back of your mind, well, if I were a disciple, I would not have thought this, right? I would not have forgotten so easily what Jesus had done. But we all do. Every day, we get up and we worry about things. And why do we worry? Because we forget how faithful God has been. And we forget that the last time we were worried about something, God answered that thing. He, he made a way. He made a provision. We worry about our finances when we know that, that the Scripture tells us that we've not seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. We worry about what's going to happen in, in the world tomorrow. But when we know that, that God holds the future, nothing happens in this world outside of the full permission of the God of heaven operating and ruling and reigning from his throne. But why do we worry? Because we forget the truth of who God is. So in this moment, the disciples could have been questioning this. They could have just forgotten. But then some say, well, maybe what they're saying here is they're just acknowledging Jesus. Say, Jesus, we can't do anything. Only you can do it. And I think either interpretation is fair. Uh, there's, a, there's an interpretation to say they've just forgotten. They, they've, they've come down to indifference, as we all do. But it also could be the disciples saying to Jesus, Jesus, we already acknowledge we can't do this. The only person who can feed these people is you. There's no, not enough food anywhere available, readily available, to be able to do this miracle. But we know that you can. So Jesus asked them, how many loaves do you have? They find seven and a few small fish. So he takes them and he directs the people to sit down on the ground. And he takes these seven loaves and the fish. And notice here, very familiar language, giving thanks. He broke it, started giving it to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. So we find here his purposeful visit, his peculiar proud, and then we also see this bountiful provision because look at verse 37. They all ate and were satisfied. 15 to 20,000 people fed from seven loaves of bread and from a few fish. Here we see another one of these powerful spiritual illustrations here. As Jesus was doing the miracle and all of these people who were lame and sick coming to Jesus and he healed everyone, all of these people who came to Jesus in this moment, it says that every one of them didn't just eat, but they, they ate and they were satisfied. And there's a difference. There's a difference between being hungry and getting enough food just to knock off the hunger, right? Getting enough food just to satisfy just a little bit of that. But no, Jesus fed these people to full satisfaction. They had enough food that by the time they were done, they were all laying around with their hands on their stomach saying, man, that was one of the best meals I've ever eaten. Because it's exactly what Jesus does in our lives. When we come to him and we eat of the bread of life, we are fully satisfied. We're never left hungry when we come to Christ. So in looking at all this, we find a bold proclamation. We, we, we've kind of alluded to it all the way along the way. But there's a bold proclamation here that Jesus is making, not only to the disciples' ministry, but to the good news to the Gentiles. Because notice what Jesus does again. As he had done with the feeding of the 5,000, after he sits the people down and he takes the bread, he breaks it and he gives it to the disciples, and the disciples then give it to the people. And the reason that this is so important is because he's again demonstrating the purpose 
of what we are to do as ministers of Jesus Christ, that we are the steward of God's power to other people. There's no power in us. We can't do anything. The disciples could not do this miracle, but they were a part of this miracle because God chose to use them as his hands to deliver the food to the people. And this is exactly what he does with us as the bread of life. He has given to us the bread of life, and we take that bread of life and we give it to other people. God had fed multitudes in many different ways. You remember back in in the Old Testament when Jesus fed the people with manna, all they did was have to walk outside every morning and the manna was already there on the ground and all they had to do was pick it up. Jesus could have performed this miracle that way. He could have had all the people sit down and he said, okay, now lift up the cloak that you have laying on the ground. And they all could have lifted up their cloaks and the food and the fish could have been there for every single person. But Jesus specifically chose to use his disciples to hand out this bread because he's demonstrating that this is what he does with the gospel. Now think about this. There's such a beautiful picture in this. It's been noted that the three stages of Jesus' ministry always ends with him feeding people to satisfaction. The end of his Galilean ministry was the feeding of the 5,000. After that moment, he was no longer going to be preaching and doing miracles in the region of Galilee. And he fed those people to full satisfaction. Here we find the end of his ministry in this Gentile region. And he again feeds these people to full satisfaction. You fast forward all the way to the end of his earthly ministry. And what does Jesus do? He feeds his disciples. He breaks bread with them. And he gives it to them. In this demonstration of what he's going to do. Again, feeding them to full satisfaction. There's this beautiful picture of what Jesus is doing here in this bread of life coming and being broken. So the physical bread is being broken, but it's symbolic of the bread of life being broken and given out to those who would come to him. But this is good news for us as Gentiles. Because every one of us in this room this morning, we are Gentiles because we are not Jewish by lineage. We're not Jewish by faith. So every one of us in this room, we should be so thankful when we read passages like this, because Jesus is demonstrating that the gospel is for all people. No Jewish teacher who was just trying to continue the lineage of the Jewish traditions, of the the traditions of man and the Pharisees and the scribes, no Jewish teacher would have done what Jesus does in this moment. Because by showing compassion and by feeding, Jesus was demonstrating that the truth of God is not just for the Jew but also for the Gentile. What a powerful message for us this morning. What a hope we have in Christ. What a a joy it is to know that we are here this morning because of what we see happening here in this passage. But there's also such encouragement to us as we go out and we take the gospel that we're to go out and to preach the gospel to all people. As we go out and preach the gospel to all people, God is doing the same thing through us as He did through His disciples. We're taking the bread of life to those who are hungry and that they can eat and be satisfied. Perhaps you're here this morning and this is you. You know that you're an outcast. And I don't mean outcast from a worldly standards. I just mean outcast from the kingdom of God. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. As I said earlier, you you may be thinking, I could never come to Christ. 
I could never do what God wants me to do because of all the things that I've done. Jesus says, come. All ye who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come unto me. He who comes unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Paul said, the Apostle Paul said that he was the chief of sinners. And Paul could not get it through his mind. He said, how could God love someone like me? But he said he did. And Paul would use that example. He said, if God could save me, then he can save anybody. If God could save me, then he can save anybody. There was one of the old hymn writers who had lived a horrible life. And after he was saved, he would often say, he said, I came to realize to not judge any person after God saved me. Because he said, if God could save me, then he can save anybody. And that's what we see happening in this passage. Because the disciples would have looked at these Gentiles and said, God would never, could never save these people. And Jesus says, this is exactly what God's going to do. He's going to not only save them, not only heal them, but he's going to give them full satisfaction in himself. So if that's you this morning, you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, there's no better time than now. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Come to the bread of life and eat and be satisfied. Father, this morning, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the instruction that we find here. Lord, we thank you for the truth of this passage. Lord, that every one of us this morning stand here as beneficiaries of because we are Gentiles. And that, Father, you loved us enough to bring the truth of Jesus Christ, to bring the truth of the gospel outside of the nation of Israel to all those who would come unto you. Lord, help us to find joy in your work. Help us to find joy in our relationship with you. Help us, Father, to just be overwhelmed by your goodness and your faithfulness towards us. But Father, I also pray if there's anyone here this morning who's never put their trust in you. They're still living today, Father, as an outcast of the kingdom. Lord, today would be the day they would look unto Jesus. They would come as these people came. They would come unto you to be healed, to be saved, and to be fed. And we ask all these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.